Hi, I'm your storyteller, and welcome to the Mockingbirds podcasts where I read banned books. And we're starting a new book Sherlock Holmes, A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And this is the first time Sherlock appears in any of uh, Conan Doyle's writings. Takes place in Victorian England and is told by the point of view of Dr. Watson, a recent friend and roommate. Now, Dr. Watson at first was completely befuddled about his new companion. He even makes a list and he still doesn't understand. But we'll get to that. And Holmes also explains why he doesn't know simple knowledge like the solar system. And we'll get to that also. So Holmes observes everything from dress to attitude. Skin marks, ink stains, clay on boots, emotional and physical states in order to deduce origins and recent histories. Meeting Watson the first time. He states that he was a doctor, an army doctor in Afghanistan, but wouldn't tell him why eventually. He does, eventually. He is also skilled in trace evidence. Footprints, hoof prints, shoe, tire tracks, tobacco ash, handwriting, and geographically, which is comparing typewriter letters to different ones to prove fraud. Gunpowder residue and small pieces of human remains. Now you gotta think this is back in the Victorian times. He uses microscopes and analytical chemistry for blood evidence and toxicology for poisons. Again, Victorian England. He has studied for 15 years in police procedure and he used fingerprints before common use and also ballistic study for 10 to 15 years before the regular police before it was regular police procedure. He is an he is an ex- expert in pistols, single stick which is why he's often seen carrying a cane, swordsman, fencer, and white riding crop. He states this is his favorite weapon. He's a boxer and a bare knuckle fighter.
So he's a pretty interesting character. So that's why I decided to uh, start with a study in Scarlet. So you get his whole introduction. And like I said, he, he has been portrayed the most in literature and film and television. <laughs> Sorry. So, let's get on with the book. There are games afoot. The game is on. A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Part 1. Chapter 1. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. In the year 1878, I took my degree of Doctor of Medicine of the University of London and proceeded to Netley to go through the course prescribed for surgeons in the army. Having completed my studies there, I was duly attached to the 5th North Thumberbund Fasulers as an assistant surgeon. The regiment was stationed in India at the time, and before I could join, the Second Afghan War broke up. On landing in Bombay, I learned my corps had advanced through the passes and was already deep in enemy country. I followed, however, with many other officers in the country. However, many other officers who were in the same situation as myself and succeeded in reaching Kandahar in safety, where I found my regiment and at once entered my new duties. The campaign brought honors and promotion to many, but for me, it brought nothing but misfortune and disaster. I was removed from my brigade and attached to the Berkshires, for whom I served at a fatal battle in Mawand. There, I was struck on the shoulder by a Jezebel bullet which shattered the bone and grazed the subclavian artery. I had fallen into the hands of the murderous Gahas, had it not been for the devotion and courage shown by Murray, my orderly, who threw me across a packed horse and succeeded in bringing me to safety to British lines. Worn with pain and weak from prolonged hardships which I had undergone, I was removed with a great train of wounded sufferers to the base hospital at Peshawar. Here I rallied, and I had almost improved so far as to be able to walk the wards and even bask in upon a little veranda where I was struck down with intermediate fever that was a curse of our Indian possessions. For months, my life was despaired of, and when I last came to myself and became convalescent, 
I was so weak and emaciated that a medical board determined that not a day should be lost in sending me back to England. I was dispatched accordingly to the troops, troop ship Ornates and landed a month later in Portsmouth Jetty. My health inevitably ruined and with the permission of a paternal government to spend the next nine months in attempting to improvement. I had neither kith nor kin in England there, and therefore as free as air or as free as an income of eleven shillings and a sixpence a day a, a day would permit a man to be. Under such circumstances I naturally gravitated to London, the great cesspool in which all loungers and idlers of the empire had irresistibly drained. There I stayed for some time in a private hotel in the Strand, leading a comfortless and meaningless existence, spending such money as I had considerably more freely than I ought to. So alarming did the state of my finances become, I soon realized that I must either leave the metropolis or rusticate somewhere in the country, or that I must make a complete alteration in my style of living. Choosing the latter alternative, I began making up my mind to leave the hotel and take up my quarters in some less pretentious an expensive domicile. On the day I'd come to the conclusion, I was standing at the Criterion Bar when someone tapped me on the shoulder. Turning around, I recognized young Stamford, who had been a dresser under me at Bart's. The sight of a friendly face in the great wilderness of London was a pleasant thing indeed for a lonely man. In my old days, Stamford had never been a particular crony of mine, but now I hailed him with enthusiasm, and he, in his turn, appeared to be delighted to see me. In exuberance of joy, I asked him to have lunch with me at the Holborn, and we started off together in a hansom. A hansom is a, is a horse-drawn buggy. Whatever, whatever have you been doing with yourself, Watson? He asked in an undisguised wonder. As we rattled through the London streets, you're as thin as a lath and brown as a nut. I gave him a sort, short sketch of my adventures, and it hardly concluded by the time we reached our destination. Poor devil, he said, commiserate, commiseratingly. After I had listened to my misfortunes, well, what are you, what are you going, what are you up to now? Oh, looking for lodgings, I answered, trying to solve a problem as to which is possible to get comfortable room at a reasonable price. That's a strange thing, marked my companion. You're the second man today who had expressed to me. And who was the first, he asked. 
have a fellow working in the chemistry laboratory up at the hospital. He was bemoaning himself this morning because he couldn't couldn't get someone to go halves with him in such nice rooms that he had found, and which were too much for his purse. By Jove, I cried, if he really wants to share rooms in the expense, I'm the man for him. I would prefer having a partner to being alone. Young Stamford rather looked rather strangely at me over his wine glass. You don't know Sherlock Holmes yet, he said. Perhaps you would not care for him as a constant companion. Why? What? What is there against him? Oh, I didn't say there was anything against him. He's just a little queer in his ideas. An enthusiast in some branches of science. But as far as I know, he's a decent fellow. A medical student, I suppose? I asked. No, I have no idea what he intends to go in for. I believe he's well up in anatomy and he's a first class chemist, but as far as any far as I know, he's never taken up any systematic medical classes. His studies are very delusionary and eccentric. He has amassed a lot of out of the way knowledge which astonish his professors. Do you ever ask him what he goes in for? I asked. No, he's not a man that's easy to draw out, though he can be commutative enough in fancy seasons. I would should like to meet him, I said. If I'm to lodge with anybody, I would prefer a man of studious and quiet quiet habits. I'm not yet strong enough to stand much noise or excitement. I had enough of both in ex- Afghanistan to last me for the remainder of my natural existence. How can I meet this friend of yours? He's sure to be in the laboratory, returned my companion. He either avoids the place for weeks or he's there, working from night morning till night. If you like, we can drive over after our luncheon. Oh, certainly, I answered. And the conversation drifted away into other channels. As we made our way to the hospital, after leaving Holborn, Stanford gave me a few particulars about the gentleman who I proposed to take in as a fellow lodger. You mustn't blame me if you don't get on with him, he said. I know nothing more of him than I have learned from meeting him occasionally in the laboratory. You propose this arrangement so you cannot hold me responsible. If we don't get on, it'll be easy to part company, I answered. Seems to me, Stanford, I asked looking hard at my companion, that you have some reason for wi- for washing your hands of the matter. Does this fellow's temper so formidable, or what is it? Don't be so mealy-mouthed about it. It's not easy to express the unexpressible, he answered with a laugh. 
Dr. Holmes is a little too scientific for my state. It approaches on cold-bloodedness. I could imagine him getting, giving a friend a little pinch of the latest vegetable alkaloid, not out of malevolence, you understand, but simply out of the inquiry in order to have an accurate idea of the effects. To do him justice, I think it would take, take it himself he would take it himself with the same readiness. He appears to have it a passionate for the definite and exact knowledge. Very right, too. Yes, but it may be pushed to excess. When it comes to beating the subjects in the dissecting rooms with a stick, it's certainly taking on rather bizarre shape. Beating the subjects? Yes, to verify how far bruises can be produced after death. I saw him with my own eyes. And yet, he's not a medical student? No, heaven knows what the objects of his studies are. But here we are, and you must form your own impressions about him. As he spoke, we turned down a narrow lane and passed through a small side door, which opened into the wing of the great hospital. The ground was familiar to me, and I needed no guiding as we ascended the bleak stone staircase and made our way down the long corridor with its vista of whitewashed and dun-colored dun doors. Near the further end of a low-arched passage branched away from it led to the chemical laboratory. This was a lofty chamber, lined and littered with countless bottles, broad low tables scattered about, which bristled with retorts, test tubes, a little Bunsen lamps with their blue flickering flames. There was only one student in the room. And he was bending over a distant table, absorbed in work. At the sound of our steps, he glanced round and sprang to his feet. With a cry of pleasure, I found it, I found it, he shouted to his, my companion, running towards us with a test tube in his hand. I have found a reagent which is participated by hemoglobin and nothing else. He discovered... Had he discovered a gold mine, it would have been it would a greater delight would not have been shown across his features. Doctor Watson, Mister Sherlock Holmes, and Stamp said Stamford introducing us. How are you? He said cordially, gripping my hand with a strength that I could hardly have given credit. You have been in Afghanistan, I, I perceive. How on earth? Did you know that? I asked, astonished. Never mind, he said, chuckling to himself. The question now is about hemoglobin. No doubt you had seen the discovery of, of mine, the significance. It's practically chemically, no doubt, I answered. But practically, oh, why, man, is the most practical medical legal discovery in years. Don't you see? It gives us an infallible way 
test for blood stains. Come over here. And he seized me by the coat sleeve in his eagerness and drove me over to the table. Let's have some fresh blood, he said, digging a long bodkin into his finger and drawing off the resulting drop of blood in a chemical pipette. Now, I know that this small... That this small quantity of blood to a liter of water, you perceive the resulting mixture has been an appearance of pure water. The proportion of blood cannot be more than one in a million. I have no doubt. However, we shall be able to obtain the characteristic reactions. As he spoke, he threw a vessel of a few white crystals and then dropped added some drops of transparent fluid. In an instant, the, the contents assumed a dull mahogany color and a brownish dust participated at the bottom of the glass jar. Ha <laughs> ha, he cried, clapping his hands and looking delighted as a child with a new toy. What do you think? It seems to be a very delicate test. Beautiful, beautiful. The old gallium test was very clumsy and uncertain. So the microscopic ex examination of blood corpulates. The latter is valueless if stains are a few hours old. Now, this happens to appear to act as well as whether the blood is old or new. Had this test been invented, there would be hundreds of men now walking the earth who would have long ago paid for the penalty of their crimes. Indeed, I murmured, criminal cases are continually hinging upon one point. A man is suspected of a crime, and perhaps after it had been committed, his linen or clothes ex examined for brownish stains discovered upon them. Are they blood? Are they mud? Are they rust stains, fruit stains? What are they? That is the puzzle. That is the question which has puzzled many an expert. And why? Because there is no reliable test. Now we have the Sherlock Holmes test, and there will be no longer any difficulty. His eyes fairly glinted as he spoke, and he put his hand over his heart and bowed as if some applauding crowd had conjured up and by his imagination. You were to be congratulated, I remarked, considerably surprised by his enthusiasm. There was the case of von Bischoff at Frankfurt last year. He most certainly would have hung had this test been in existence. And then there was Mason of Bradford and the notorious Mullet Muller and the Lafayre of Montpelier, Samson of New Orleans. I can name a score of cases in which this had been decisive. You seem to be a walking calendar of crime, said Stamford with a laugh. You might start a paper on that, call it the police news of the past. Very interesting reading it may be, too, remarked Sherlock. Sticking a small piece of plaster over the prick of his finger. Have to be careful, he continued turning me with a smile, for I dabble in poisons a quite 
a good deal. He held out his hand as he spoke. I noticed that all over mottled with similar pieces of plaster, discolored with strong acids. We came here on business, said Stamford, sitting down on a high, three-legged stool and pushing another and one in my direction with his foot. My friend wants to take diggings, and as you were complaining that you couldn't have no, no one to go halves with you, I thought I'd better bring you two together. Sherlock Holmes seemed delighted at the idea of sharing rooms with me. I had my eye on a suite in Baker Street, he said, which would suit us down to the ground. I hope you don't mind the smell of strong tobacco, I hope. I always smoke ships myself, he said, answered. That's good enough. I generally have chemicals about and occasionally do experiments. Would that annoy you? By no means. Let me see my other shortcomings. I get in the dumps sometimes and won't open my mouth for days on end. You must not think I'm sulky when I do. Just let me alone. And as well for a few, it, it just as well for be for a few fellows that know the worst of one another before they live together. I laughed at this cross-examination. Uh, I keep a bull pup, he said, and I object to Rose because of my nerves and shaken. I have been up, I get up at ungodly hours, and I am extremely lazy. Another set of vices, when I am well, those principles, those are the principles ones at present. Do you include violin playing in your category of rows, he said anxiously. Depends on the player, I answered. A well-played violin is a treat for the gods, but a badly played one. Oh, that's all right, he cried with a merry laugh. I think we may consider the thing settled. That is, if the rooms are agreeable. Shall we go see them? Come here. Call me noon tomorrow, and we'll go and we'll go together and settle everything. He answered, "All right, noon exactly." I said, shaking his hand, and we we left him to work among his chemicals. We walked towards my hotel. By the way, I asked suddenly, stopping, turning upon Stamford, "How did he deduce that I had come from Afghanistan?" My companion smiled an ignomatal smile. That's just his little particularity, he said. A good many people have wanted to know how he finds things out. Oh, what a mystery it is, I cried. This is very piquant. I'm, I'm much obliged for you bringing us together. A proper study of mankind is a man, you know. You must study him, then. Stamford said as he bade me goodbye. You'll find him a naughty problem, though. I'll wager he learns more about you than you about him. Goodbye. Goodbye, I answered and strolled to my hotel and considerably interested 
and my new acquaintance. All right. I'm just going to read the first chapter. Uh, I'll read more uh, later. I just, honestly, I'm not in the mood to read anymore. So, uh, we'll start with chapter two, uh, when they move in together. All right. The game is on. (laughs) 